We hope you uh, are having a good week this week, and we're delighted that you could join us today. I wanted to follow up as we've been looking at the Easter weekend with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I wanted to follow up on what took place right after that. And so if you would uh, hang with me this morning, we would appreciate that. You may want to grab your Bible and uh, join in and follow along. It's always nice to read it in your own Bible. So please feel free to grab that while we're talking and going. In uh, Mark 16:6, it says, it is a little phrase of when the women came down to the tomb, they found the tomb empty and they were asking, where is he? And the angel said to them, he is risen. He is not here. Mark 16:6. I've visited that tomb. I've been to Jerusalem, and truly, he is not there, and he is risen. But a lot of people really question whether that is actually true, that Jesus rose from the dead. That seems to be a key sticking point in a lot of people's minds, and there's a lot of room, they say, for doubt that this, this could not be as it as it appears to be. I remember years, several years ago, I was pastoring a church, and I would tell the children's story. And while I was telling the children's story, and when I'd finished, there was a little boy, and, and every week he would say the same thing. As soon as I finished the story, he would say, is that really true? And of course, the congregation would laugh and giggle, and so would I. And I would say, yes, of course, that's really true. Oh, okay. And then he'd go back to his parents where he was sitting down. But it's a fair question. Is this really true? It isn't really true. Some have hesitated to say anything and to challenge what God may say. They're concerned that maybe I shouldn't ever ask the question, is this really true? How can I believe? But it's amazing that God even invites us to come. In fact, the Bible says, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Come, let us think together. Come and see for yourself. Come and evaluate that. So through this, through this experience of the empty tomb, through this, we can say, do we have a witness? Do we have witnesses that could share what they saw that we could believe because it was a long time ago? And some say there's a lot of opportunity to exaggerate and to have wishful thinking and to make up stories and fables. But do we have a witness that could verify that? Perhaps you're familiar with the Gnostic Gospels in which throw some doubt about this experience of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. So the question, are there witnesses? Are there those who could allow and share with us what they saw, what they heard? Well, Paul says that therefore there's a cloud of witnesses. He says, since we have surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so entangles and let us run them with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So he said there is a cloud of witnesses, there are many witnesses that saw this, which raises the question about it, how did that happen? Well, I would like to, for you to look, and we cannot take all that time here this morning, but there are a couple books that if you're wondering about this issue and wondering about the evidence of this, there are a couple books out that you might want to look up and find, and I think both of them are available on Amazon.com. And the first one, which has been around for a while, but has been refreshed and redone, is by Josh McDowell and his son, Sean. 
and it is the book, Evidence Demands a Verdict. I would encourage you, if you have concerns about this, would like to read more in depth about this, look into that book and to find it. It is amazing what he has laid out in, in the evidence about the risen Christ. The second book is also very similar to that, and that is The Case for Christ, written by Lee Strubel. Lee Strubel was a editor at the Chicago, I mean a uh, writer, calm writer, at the Chicago Tribune, not a believer. When he came to Christ and came to follow, and he researched it like a reporter would. So I found that book very interesting too, The Case for Christ. That's also available on Amazon.com. But there's some things you should know. And one of them is that he appeared almost exclusively to believers after his resurrection. He didn't go back into the temple. He didn't go and meet with the Sanhedrin. He didn't walk around Galilee for everyone to see him again. He made certain appearances. Now, we could argue, yes, he probably was seen by the soldiers because they went and reported that he had risen from the dead. Remember how they got bribed, the Bible tells us about that. But is there the evidence there for even believers, which people say, well, they're believers, so they're going to give a slanted view. Well, let's look. Now, over the last uh, few weeks, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 15, and I've only focused on verses 3 and 4, I believe, those verses. And so we'll pick up there, 1 Corinthians 15. We'll go back to there, and I'd like you to notice something as we go on. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, and it reads, For what I received I passed on to you, Paul is writing, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, almost, all, uh, excuse me, most of whom are still living, at least at the time he wrote, though many have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. Now, when he said abnormally born, that last little phrase is unique. He was not born abnormally, as we would think, well, there was something wrong with his birth. He's talking about how he came to know Christ, how he came to be a follower and a disciple of Christ. And he always claimed that his encounter on the road to Damascus, when the bright life came, if you remember, he went over the top of, uh, of the hill, went down the road to Damascus. As he was going down the road to Damascus, soldiers to arrest and to persecute the Christians, the small group of Christians in Damascus, he was struck, a light came from heaven. And he met and looked up and saw Jesus sitting on his throne. He called that, he called that moment when he became a disciple, an apostle for Christ. He called that, that's when I became a follower. Truly was a conversion experience. Truly was a magnificent thing. So on that road, that's what he means by being abnormally born. And so he gives us a list here. So in 1 Corinthians 15, we have a record. He, Paul writes down a record for us of those who saw the witnesses. The witnesses were there. Cephas, or as we know, we would call him Peter. 
Peter, then the twelve. Now the twelve, the twelve, this was after Judas had already hung himself, and Matthias had already been asked to replace Judas as a believer and a follower. So Matthias was not someone who had followed along and had been with Jesus day by day. But as he went, as they went on their way, as they made their experience together, he said the twelve. So he appeared to the twelve, as it were, using the catchphrase, or the thing of appearing to a group, those twelve disciples, to five hundred plus believers. Then to James, which was a half-brother of Jesus, who became the leader of the apostles, the apostles in themselves, and then to Paul, you know, being abnormally born on the road to Damascus. So he'd say, we have all these witnesses that saw and would testify that they saw Jesus. Well, if we were to look at the gospel record, which gives us a little bit of an order, if you look carefully, you can kind of follow the order of how these people came to see Jesus' empty tomb and how they saw them later. So the gospels, if we look through all the different gospels, we find what Mary Magdalene was probably the first. And then the other Mary, which is another reference to Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, Salome, Joanne, and the other woman came down, was not particularly identified. Then Simon Peter, as we said, Clopas and a companion. Now this was on the road to Emmaus as these men were walking home after the Passover. And Jesus appeared to them and walked with them. And remember he talked to them and they asked them why they were so upset as they were walking because they told about how Jesus had been crucified. They didn't know he had resurrected. And when they got to the home, Jesus then, they invited him in to stay at their home. And so they came in to eat. And then when Jesus raised his hands to bless the bread, they saw the nails. And they believed they had been walking and talking with Jesus. He had been explaining to them the whole trip, how the prophecies had been telling of this experience. So there was the two, we say, on the road to Emmaus. The eleven now, minus Thomas and, of course, Judas. So he'd say the eleven. The eleven then later, including Thomas. Then there were the seven disciples that had gone back fishing out on Lake Galilee, or Lake Tiberias, as you might refer to it. Then later to the disciples in a large crowd in Galilee, that's the 500. To James then. And then the disciples and followers who went with Jesus to the Mount of Olives when he ascended into heaven. Now, you look at all that and you say, wow, now that's a lot of people. And truly it is a lot of people that saw him. Therefore, that's why uh, Paul said in Hebrews, we have surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Surrounded by the crowd. A lot of them. But today I would like for you to look at a particular passage that to me meant the world. It's the testimony of one person. And his testimony, his witness of what he saw, I needed to hear as I was developing an understanding of who Jesus was and what he meant to me. So if you have your Bibles, go from 1 Corinthians 13 back to the Gospel of John, John chapter 20. This is the very end, not quite the last little bit, but chapter 20 in John. Now the setting is the Resurrection Sunday. Jesus had resurrected from the dead, and his resurrection as he left and he appeared to these at the garden and then he was gone. 
And then we pick up with verse 19, chapter 20 of John, verse 19. He said, on the evening, that evening of the resurrection, on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, when the disciples were together with the door locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders. Now, they were afraid that the Jewish leaders were now going to come after them because Jesus was now missing. And so they, with great fear, they locked themselves up. We believe this was in the upper room where the Lord's Supper had taken place there a few nights earlier. So they were there together. They were held up together in that room. They had locked the door to try to secure themselves. And Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus came and stood among them. And they didn't open the door for him. All of a sudden, he appeared among them. And he said, peace be with you. Now, I find that rather interesting, don't you? That Jesus would say, well, peace be with you. I would be in shock if he had said that. If he had appeared like that, if he had come like that, I would have been in shock. And here my eyes would have been really big and my mouth kind of hanging open as I was, he's here, he's standing among us, and we could touch him and we can see him. It would have been an incredible experience. And what a loving experience and after he said this, he showed them, the Bible says in John 20, showed him his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Well, of course they were. But Thomas was not in the room. Thomas was not present. Now notice that John goes on to describe this in very, very careful detail. And in verse 24, it said, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, one of the ones that had walked with Jesus, was not with his disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples, they told him, We have seen the Lord. And they thought, Oh, he'd be really excited about it. But in verse 25, Thomas answers, But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe, Thomas said. I want proof. I need to see it myself. Yes, you're all saying, you're all witnessing, you're all saying, yes, yes, that's true, that's true, that's true. They saw him and so forth. I, I see that. But I, for my own belief, for my own trusting that this is true, this is what I need to do. Well, of course, that didn't sit very well with the disciples. And they were saying, what's the matter with Thomas? We all believe. We all saw him. But because he didn't see him, you see. Well, it goes on, John goes on and says, about a week later, so a week later, his disciples were in the house again, in the upper room. And Thomas this time was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, as he always would, well, peace be with you. And of course, now the disciples the second time, well, they're happy. They see him again. But Thomas is now looking at him. And then Jesus turns and looks at Thomas and he said, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas's eyes were huge because he, Jesus was repeating back the words to him, the very things that he had said. 
Just a week earlier when he said, I won't, not until I do that. Now Jesus, who wasn't present as far as Thomas knew, he was repeating these exact words back to Thomas. And Thomas was in shock as he's looking at Jesus. And he, and he looks at him and he, Thomas said to him as he's there and he said, Oh, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. He didn't say just my Lord. But he said, my Lord, my master, in other words, and my God. A very important phrase that he used. Very important that he said that. He saw something more that Jesus was just resurrected from the dead. He saw Jesus as God. So I entitled my message today, Do We Have a Witness? Now this witness, this witness, this witness... Well, when I grew up, we called him Doubting Thomas. I don't know if you had that experience. I grew up in the church, and, and we always would know him as Doubting Thomas, the one, who, the one who would say, I am so grateful that he expressed what he said. I'm so grateful that he asked for that test and that sign. I'm so grateful to what happened and how the scriptures revealed this to us. Someday when I see Thomas, when Jesus comes, I'm going to thank him for doing that. He may be a little embarrassed, but I want to thank him because it helped me in my faith. You see, the Gospel of John is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Their stories, their things are called synoptic. They, they stole, uh, told the story of Jesus. Some of them told the birth. In fact, Luke goes on with great detail about the birth of Christ. Uh, Mark, not so much. And then they talked about the different things. But John, the Gospel of John, stands far different. It's known as the theology, and there was a purpose to why John wrote his book. And the purpose that John wrote his book was he wanted to make clear that Jesus was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that Jesus was God. And he used all of that experiences that are all lined up in John to come to this very point, to come to the point that Thomas would say, it, it wasn't choreographed, it wasn't organized, but what happened was, as Thomas stood and looked at Jesus, that great statement, you are my Lord and my God, it encapsulated the whole purpose of uh, John's book. That is the purpose of it. That was it, to establish what Jesus had done. Or Jesus looking at Thomas, he said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Do we have a witness? I don't know about you, but for me, Thomas's statement, Thomas's story, helped me know that it is real. And although I cannot be present in that upper room, though we're separated by thousands of years, I can take the witness of Thomas. Oh yes, the cloud of witnesses, and I, and I appreciate all of them, they're wonderful. But the, the witness of Thomas particularly speaks to me because he, he raised the issue, is it really true? 
He had doubts. And Jesus didn't come and shame him for that. Jesus didn't come, oh, shame on you for having doubts. Don't you believe? He didn't do that. He offered to him the proof that Thomas required. So I ask you, if you're doubting, if you're not sure about it, that's okay. But Jesus invites you to come and see. Come, let's reason together. Look it over, see for yourself. See if it doesn't make sense. See if it's true. I invite you to make that journey. Some of you are believing and said, yes, just like I do. Oh, Thomas, that's great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I rejoice in it. And every time I read this story or I talk about this story in the Gospel of John, I thank John and I thank the Lord and I thank Thomas for doing and saying what he said. For I can build my confidence on that witness. I love all the other witnesses, but the others. How about you? There's always room for doubt. But God invites you to come and see for yourself. Are these things true? Is this true? Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this powerful, powerful example here. I thank you that we can look at it and we can see it and we can be pleased at the words of Thomas. Some of us may have concerns and doubts and are not sure. But Lord, I ask that you will invite us, let your spirit call us. Don't give up on us. Maybe we may need to take time. We may need to think things over. I ask, Lord, that you give us time to come and look, to raise our doubts and to get the answers to them. And that if we are doubting, that we can come to believe. Thank you for the cloud of witnesses. Thank you for all those who saw the testimony of those who were there. But I thank you for Thomas. And I thank you for doing that for him. That Thomas and us can believe. In Jesus, in holy and precious name, amen. Next week, we will go on a little farther in the book of John to deal with another important story. I invite you to be part of that next week, but I also invite you to believe, to trust in the Lord and to believe. All right, God bless you. We'll see you next week.